all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing today? Hey, it's, uh, it's so good to be with you, to, to be able to gather together. Uh, you might, as I talk, uh, you might hear me, my voice is a little, little hoarse. I kind of lost my voice. If it squeaks a little bit, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not going through puberty. Uh, uh, thank God we've gone through those years. But um, uh, just last night, I, uh, my, my parents' church, the church I grew up in, gathered at Mount Hermon for a family camp, and my mom was running the campfire. So I had to be there to support her and to sing the songs real loud and do all the cheers to try to, you know, get people into it. And I may have overdone it. So if I get a little squeaky, uh, don't, don't worry about me. Hey, today we are, uh, we're starting a new series. So we, we t- spent a long time, Christmas, all the way to last week, studying the Gospel of John. And this week we moved to a new series in which we're going to be studying the book of Philippians, uh, I think for the next 12 uh, weeks together. Uh, the book of Philippians is a great book. It's one of my favorite of the letters. Uh, and it's just this profoundly joyful book. It's just this incredible uh, like just the voice in which it's written and the words and the, the exhortations. It's just this joyful voice throughout the whole book. But the crazy thing is, as you saw in the little video that we just watched, this is a, this is a letter that was written from prison. You know, this is a letter written by someone who has suffered, and yet he's joyful. And uh, we're going to be asking for the next 12 weeks, uh, how does he do that? You know, how does he, how does he become such a resiliently joyful person? What, what's going on with that. So since we're, we're, we're starting with this theme of joy, I want to ask you to think, and uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to a neighbor if you can find someone, or if you're online, we invite you to, to do this in the comments and chat with each other. Okay, I want you to think with me, who is the most joyful person that you know? Just They just exude joy, and you're like, wow. Like, tell somebody next to you a name of someone who you think is the most joyful person that you know. Here we go. <laughs> Abby. <laughs> okay, you, everyone thought of someone? Okay, we're time for time for question number two. Who is the grumpiest, most ornery Christian that you know? Okay, share it. No, 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 don't share. Don't, no, 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 no. Don't comment. Don't comment on the th- on the thing. Uh, this is one we're gonna just keep to ourselves. Okay, because it's entirely possible that the person you're thinking of as the grumpiness, just crotchety, just. Total Scrooge, that person might be like sitting next to you or behind you, okay? So, <laughs> so, but okay, so you can think of people that are just exceedingly joyful and you can think of other people that are exceedingly not. And guess what? We have Christians in both categories, don't we? 
What is the difference? What's the difference between those two people? In many cases, they're both people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. In many cases, they're both people sitting in this church right now, maybe. Maybe they're in the same family. What is the difference between those two people? Okay, all right. Which one do you want to be around more? <laughs> you know, which, I don't know if you're laughing at the question or at my, my voice at the moment, but, but which one do you want to hang out with? You know, I, I bet you, like how many, okay, how many people vote you want to hang out with the grump? How many people, the joyful person? It's a significant majority voting for that second one, right? So, okay, so here's the thing. When I grew up as a Christian, I grew up in a church, uh, and, um, and I, I rem- one of the things I remember hearing, and I don't remember who said this to me, I don't know if it was a pastor, if it was something I read, if it was just, just kind of like something people said in Christian land, but I always heard that, uh, that uh, a Christian can have this unshakable joy that transcends circumstance. Have you heard this? Like something about our Christian faith, we can be like joyful no matter what happens, that our, our joy doesn't have to be rooted in circumstance. And that sounds awesome. Like I want that. But if I'm honest, I don't always have that. Is the joy of the Lord automatically granted to Christians? Do you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and boom, you're always happy? Anybody, does that your, has that been your experience? I don't know. My lived experience is a little different. My lived experience is sometimes I get tipped over. Uh, sometimes I get overwhelmed. I get angry. Uh, we, we Christians, we get depressed. We get down. We, we get ornery and grumpy. Isn't that... Isn't that isn't that true? It's true, right? So what is this joy that we speak of? How does it work? How do we get it? How do we develop it in our life? What, what is truly, you know, available? Right? It's an interesting question, right? I thought so. I hope it's, not, I hope it's interesting. We're spending 12 weeks on it. <laughs> so, okay, I, I was... Um, as many of you know, I, I lived in Ghana for a couple years and worked for International Justice Mission. And we used to have every day, we had this uh, you know, morning uh, prayer time. And there was this lady named Debbie, this, this Ghanaian lady named Debbie. And uh, I was always struck when she led the prayers. Um, because she would lead us in a prayer and her prayer would be something like this. I, I, I swear, I'm not, I'm not making this up. This is, how, this is her basic prayer. She's like... Lord, you woke us up today. Some people died in their sleep, but not us. We survived. And you, and, and you woke us up today. Thank you, Lord. And she'd say, Lord, we, uh, you brought us safely to work. Uh, and other people, they don't have jobs. And they're totally broke, but we have jobs, Lord. Thank you, you gave us a job. And then I'm not kidding you, this one, she'd say, she'd say, Lord, and some people woke up today, 
And they had a job to go to, but they never made it because they got run over by a car and they died. <laughs> and we didn't, the cars didn't hit us and we were alive and we were in our job, Lord. Thank you. We are survivors. And sometimes I would just like open my eyes, like this prayer is getting gruesome, it's getting morbid. But for her, it was like joyful. Her joy was building. She's like, all these like tragedies in the world didn't hit her today. And she's praising, praising God, right? And I just have reflected on this prayer for years. I just think there's some kind of spiritual discipline at work there that, uh, <laughs> that I, I want to learn, you know? Uh, I don't know if I'll ever exactly pray in that way, but there's like a discipline of gratitude and praise in her life. It's woven into her thought process. It's, it's woven into her, her prayer life. Like she just views her daily experience with a sense of gratitude. I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've often thought like, well, I've read this at some point. I've thought it ever since I read it. Uh, that, that, that a lot of, you know, happiness is determined on, are you in one of two camps? Are you someone who... Uh, feels that you got cheated by life, you know, I deserved better and I, and, I got, and I got worse? Or are you someone who feels like surprised and grateful, like, like I, got, I got something better than I deserve or expected? And, and, and depending on, on your basic um, answer to those two, that question, it, it determines a lot of kind of how you emotionally experience the world. And that is a gift that we have as Christians is this sense of, I mean, our basic theology is we, we as Christians have gotten better than we deserve, right? We are sinners who have done something bad. We actually deserve some punishment, but by the Lord's love, we, we've been set free. And so she thinks about that in her daily life and builds it into her thought process and prayer. So I think there is this sense of resilient joy that is available to us as Christians. But I think it's a maturity that we have to grow into. You know, sometimes we get a little bit confused as Christians about how this whole relationship with God works. We speak a lot about grace as a free gift that's given to us, and that is very, very true. Within, the, within our understanding of salvation, there's two kind of parts or aspects to our experience of salvation that, uh, that I want to just kind of explain for just a second. One word that we use in theological books, we talk about justification, right? That is the, the, the forgiveness of sins. That's like being declared righteous before God. That is like by, by what happens on the cross, by, by, by the blood of Jesus, we are, we are forgiven, we are, we, are, we are set free, we don't have to take punishment that we deserve. And it's this instantaneous kind of gift that we, that we receive. There's this other part, this other word, called sanctification, right? That is, that is sort of the process of being made sanctified or, or, or holy, being uh, made more Christ-like. And that one is a, is a process, you know? That, that, that is, you're not instantly, you know, just perfectly Jesus-like, you know, the day that you accept Christ. There's this journey of walking with Jesus, a process of discipleship, a process of studying the word of God, a process of maybe being discipled by another person who's farther along on the path, who kind of helps you move along. It's a process of, it's kind of self-examination and constant applying of the wisdom of the Lord to your life. And it takes some spiritual work. It takes intentionality. It's also a gift. It's also a free gift in which the Holy Spirit is doing the heavy lifting. But we cooperate. We cooperate 
with God as in this sanctification part of our salvation, right? We're saved, saved by the blood of the Lamb. And then throughout our whole life, transformed by the power of the Spirit. And this uh, the series on Philippians, we're going to be looking a lot of, of, uh, at that second part is how we are transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit as we, as we cooperate with the Spirit. And we're going to see evidence in Paul's life and his attitude and his words uh, that, that show how this has happened, how his thinking, how his heart, how his attitude, his priorities have changed uh, through this process of discipleship. So the Apostle Paul wrote... Uh, this book, Philippians, it's a, it's a letter. And it was written, you know, somewhere between 20 and 30 years after the, what happened at Easter. So there's been, there's been a time gap that's happened. What's happened at the book of Acts? And there's someone named Paul who has come to the Lord. Now, there's a, there's a common myth that Christians believe that there was a guy named Saul and that Jesus changed his name to Paul. How many people believe, believe that? No, don't you only raise your hand, but not true. That is actually not true. Uh, there's a lot of examples of God changing someone's name, but actually uh, Saul is his Hebrew name and Paul is his Roman name. And actually uh, lots of people at that time, they, they would have their local language, their kind of you know, name, and then the Roman world. That they used. So, so Saul is the word that's being the, the name as he's operating there in kind of the Jewish world and they're using his Hebrew name, but as he moves out into the Roman world and he's a Roman citizen, he, he goes by his, his Roman name. So, so he is someone who is a, a persecutor of Christians. He is a, he is a, a, a Hebrew scholar, a, a scholar of the Old Testament. He's a Pharisee. And uh, he's someone with great academic credentials who has studied under a famous uh, Pharisee teacher, um, and he is actually active in hunting down Christians and approving and giving, giving oversight to the, to the lynching of, of, of Stephen, the, the church's first martyr. Jesus gets a hold of him, appears to him. Uh, uh, he, he experiences relationship with Christ and grace. He comes to believe in Jesus as his Savior. Uh, spends spends some, some years trying to process that. And, and eventually becomes like an active missionary uh, of the church in which he's a, a leader in the church and he's planting churches and he's leading people to Christ and really gives his life uh, for service to Christ. Uh, but, but along the way, he suffers a lot for Christ. He, uh, at one point, um, people don't like what he's saying and they say, we're gonna kill you. And, and, they, and they drag him out of town, they throw rocks at him and they think he's dead and they, so they, they leave him bleeding on the ground, right? Uh, at one point, he is, uh, well, he's arrested multiple times, spends different times in jail. At one point, he's on a prison ship, being transported as a prisoner, and there's a shipwreck, and he's like stranded on an island. And there's all these things that happen in his life. At one point, some of his friends desert him. And, uh, you know, it's just you know, a lot of difficulty. And yet, uh, we're going to see, as we look through this book that he's written in Philippians, this letter from jail, he is joyful. He is He's not, the, 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 all the problems that he has faced, all the suffering have not turned him into that grumpy, persnickety person that you don't want to hang out with. And you could see how they might. You could see how this cascade of tragedy could lead him to just being this, this old grump who feels cheated by the world. Oh, Jesus, I gave my life to you and look what you did to me. You know, here I am in jail cell, right? 
But instead, totally the opposite. He's, he sings worship songs uh, in prison. He sings worship songs on, on the ship when he's in chains. I mean, he, he, and, he's, and he's exhorting the Philippians to, to celebrate and to experience joy. And so we're going we're gonna to spend this time studying, like, okay, what is it? What are the pieces that we can learn? So I want to invite you to stand as we just read the first two verses uh, of this book. And we'll just focus on two verses today. So this first line is like the from in the, in the structure of, of these letters. And you hear, you hear from and you hear to. Okay. From Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, we just pray you'd open this word to our hearts, minds, and lives. Amen. Please be seated. Okay, we're going to just focus today on uh, these two verses. And usually when people read this letter, they skip over them because they're like, it's the from and the to. You know, what kind of meat is in there? But I think there's a lot. There's a lot in terms of how he views himself, how he views them, how he views, you know, what their interaction is going to be. And so we're going to work our way through this book in these, in these next 12 weeks. By the way, there's a study guide available to you. We have them available. And there's small groups that are meeting uh, and discussing this during the week. And so you can be a part of that uh, as well. So I'm going to look really closely at these two verses. And I'm going to just share with you three categories of things. I'll just give you the categories right off the top, and then we'll explore them one by one. The first category we're going uh, ex- uh, to explore is fellowship, or like kind of deep spiritual friendship would be another word for that, fellowship. The second one is identity, and the third one is blessing. Okay, so we're going to explore fellowship, identity, and blessing as seen in the first two verses of Philippians. So we're going to start with friendship. Okay, the very first words in this letter, it says, Paul and Timothy, okay? It says, Paul and Timothy. Now, we constantly uh, misspeak, and I have misspoken many times already in this sermon by saying, this is a letter that Paul wrote from prison, right? How many times have I said that already? But is that what it says? It doesn't. It's not from Paul. It's from Paul and Timothy. Timothy, right? And we categorize this. We say this is a letter from Paul, right? And it's, you know, some parts it's kind of like first person singular sometimes. He seems to be the main writer. But he says this is Paul and Timothy. Who's Timothy? Okay, well, hey, you know where's a great place to check for uh, information about Timothy? The book of 1 Timothy, okay? <laughs> check it out. In 1 Timothy 1 2, a letter Paul wrote to Timothy, he calls him my true son. In the faith. My true son in the faith. And then, you know what, let's check 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, he says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm now persuaded lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
So what do we know about this relationship of this Paul and Timothy who are actually writing this letter together? Well, we learn from those other letters that Paul gets tears in his eyes just thinking about Timothy, just deep gratitude in his heart at the thought of this other dear friend. We also learn there's like a family history. Paul doesn't just know Timothy. He knows Timothy's mom, Timothy's grandma. He's like, there's a legacy of faith in you. I, you know, there's things that I know from your grandma that I see at work in you. There are things from your mom that have been passed down to you. Like he knows the family. Do you have friends like this? You have dear friends where you, you know their family because you've, you've spent time with the whole the whole crew. They've worked together in ministry. They've gone on mission trips. I think there's a lot of you who have fond memories and friendships that have been born when you've gone on mission trips or done some service together. There's this deep friendship that's at the heart of like, like the actual sending of this letter. It's not one person alone in prison. There's two. It makes a big difference. Uh, just uh, when, I, when I went up to visit uh, the, this, uh, my, my parents' church, the childhood church where I grew up in at this family camp this last weekend where I lost my voice, um, the first night I, I got to uh, stay, I stayed up till 1.30 in the morning with my friend Greg and, uh, and just reminded how sweet that friendship is. You've heard me uh, tell funny, silly stories about Greg before. He's the guy, the saltwater fish tank guy. Uh, he's the guy that used to make fun of me for being skinny and white and having curly hair. And I, a lot of times I tell silly stories because I grew up with this guy, like since we were babies. But he's just been one of my best friends my, my whole life. My whole, con- I have no conscious memory of not being friends uh, with Greg. And as much as I think about kind of the funny, silly stories, we just had this late night conversation just for hours, like, you know, sitting together. I just remember just how, how sweet it is to have a friend who's known you long. You know, who's known you in all different phases of your life, been there when you, when you messed up, <laughs> you know, been there when you, when you get in trouble, when you get thrown out of church camp, you know, all these things that we've done together, but then also been there while you, while you go deeper in your faith, while you discover God, while you, while you uh, the twists and turns of, of, of ups and downs of adolescence, and then, and then as we each kind of became, you know, we each got married and, and we had kids and just, just the life that we've, shared together and just the, the, the fluidity of the conversation, you know, just the, the, the being able to openly share about what's hard in our lives today. And like those friendships matter, don't, don't they? And, you know, and, and, I, and, I, and I wish I could, you know, we don't live in the same town, so I don't get to see him uh, that often. But when, you, when you're able to get together with someone like that and you process things that are painful or hard in your life, like when you're done with the conversation, the circumstances haven't changed but, but we've changed, you know, like by, by, the, by the moment of fellowship, of deep spiritual connection and friendship connection with another Christian who shares your values, like uh, we're, we're different at the end of that conversation and it matters. So here we, we see it, this, 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 this prison letter, Paul's not alone in his work. He writes with his buddy, a friend that he has great trust and camaraderie, a friend who's also suffered a friend who's fighting in the trenches and serving alongside him. Like, think of the encouragement that he draws right now from writing that letter with this friend, this spiritual son. Consider the difference in your life when you experience a hardship alone or with one trusted friend. It's a totally different experience, right? 
I've heard it said that, uh, that everyone needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy in their life. Have you ever heard this before? Everyone needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and Timothy. You're like, what that? Okay, well, it starts with kind of the friendship between Paul and Timothy. Everybody needs a, if you're a Timothy, you need a Paul, right? You need someone who's like a, you know, gone a little farther in the faith, a little, maybe a little bit older, who's, who, who's pouring into you. Like it, Paul called him my true spiritual son, right? That's like, it's like a mentor, someone who's, who's discipling, kind of pouring into you. And then, uh, and, then, and then from like Paul's perspective, you need a Timothy. You need someone that, that maybe, maybe they're kind of younger or kind of maybe newer in the faith or something, and you're, and you're kind of helping them along, and you're, you're able to kind of pour into them. <coughs> Barnabas is from a whole different story, <coughs> and that's a, that's, a, that's a friend, that's a companion. Somebody uh, for whom you're, you're kind, of, kind of at equals and kind of walking alongside. I, uh, a friend of mine in this church, uh, Tom, uh, Tom Giovannini is passionate about men's ministry, and I've got to uh, walk with him over this year as he's been completing this training from ECO, uh, the CLP training for, uh, for people to serve in pastoral roles in, in kind of a lay capacity. And uh, he just, his passion just keeps growing for, for men's ministry. And how do, you, how do you connect men in these kind of relationships of Paul and Barnabas and Timothy? And he's, he's got these ways. I don't know, do we have the graphic? Yeah, do we have it? It's like, like Tyler, you are Tom, graphic designer, a uh, new, new thing for you. Amazing, right? But he shared with me, he's like, hey, here's what I'm thinking, you know, for, for the men, you know, of, of this church, you know, it's like, you know, we got to connect every man at C3 uh, in, in being engaged in life on life, discipling relationships as a, as a mentor to at least one other man, as a wingman to at least one other man, as a mentee to at least one other man. And he's got this kind of like uh, graphic, I don't know, is that, is that like an atom? or a molecule or something, you know? I need to take more science classes to be pastoring this church, okay? And, uh, but just, you just see the way in which like a church would look in, in terms of interconnected life-on-life relationships in which we are, we're, we're wingmen to each other, we're mentors or mentees, and, and you just see this absolutely, uh, uh, you know, in all the letters of Paul, you just see these kind of relationships connected. Uh, by the way, if you're interested in, uh, in, in, in being more connected, hey, Tom, could you give everyone a big wave? All right, talk to Tom. He's, he'll help you. He'll help you. So here we see Paul is not alone in his work, right? He writes this with his buddy, and, uh, and it matters. Okay, so that's friendship, fellowship. Second category, identity, identity. We see this right at the next thing. It says, I, it says, Paul and Timothy, let's, let's come up and show verse, uh, show verse one. There we go. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. It's almost like, uh, it's almost like a business card. Like, like okay, like what, if, you, if you have a business card, what's written on this business card? I don't really use them anymore, but when I, when I, when I do, it would say something like, uh, it'd have the, uh, my name, Matt Robbins, it might have the church logo. It'd have my job title, senior pastor. It would identify the organization that I work with, uh, you know, Christ Community Church of Milpitas, right? And that's like, that's pretty much and how to get in touch with me. What would be written on your business card? If it's just, this, who this person is? 
Well, a lot of our kind of identity, how we describe ourselves in, in our world, and our culture, has to do with our occupation, right? People, when they think of you, they kind of, that's one thing they think of, right? They might think, oh yeah, that's, that's Lorson, creative director, Adobe, which just sounds cool to say, right? This is Steve, legendary basketball coach, Milpitas High School. This is Kim, school secretary, keeps the world moving, you know? I mean, so it's kind of like, this is, uh, this is part of our identity. But we're also known to people for identities and roles that we play outside of work. So I am, many, many uh, people know me as the husband of the illustrious Joy Robbins, okay? Right? <laughs> oh, you're Joy's, uh, you're Joy's husband, right? Yeah. Uh, my, to my kids' friends, I'm, you know, Hannah's dad, Peter's dad, Abigail's dad. That's the only thing they know about me. You're, you're, the, you're, you're, that, you're that tall dad guy, okay? Uh, in Merced, the town where I grew up, I am Ken and Jean's son. I'm one of those many Robins running around. When I go overseas, I'm like, oh, you're, you're an American. When I lived in Ghana, I was known as Osofo Kwame. Uh, that was my name there. And uh, people knew me as Leo's tall white sidekick. Okay? <laughs> And I would, I would tell them, no, 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 we're twins. We're, we're twin brothers, you know. Uh, sometimes I like to go play in like ultimate Frisbee pickup games. And I become quickly known as the tall guy obsessed with long bomb passes who's too lazy to play defense. <laughs> what are the identity markers for you? Right? How do, people, how do we think people think of you? Now, some of you might be thinking something that, that, that I regard as a myth. And the myth is my identity is just I am who I am, independent of everyone else. I am a self-contained unit. My identity is just I'm, I am just me, apart from any interaction with you. But I, I think that's false. I mean, there is some level of us that's just us and who God made us to be. But much of what's important in your life is found in your roles and your relationship. How do you interact with other people. People know us largely by how we relate to them, how we relate to the world. And all of those things make up part of our identity. So here's, here's, here's what happens. We experience deep emotional pain when a core part of our identity is threatened or ended or diminished. A lot of times when you notice like, whoa, there's a big emotional thing happening within me, a lot of times it has to do with part of your, a key role in your life, part of your identity has been challenged. So if a marriage ends or a spouse passes away, if we lose a job, if our kids grow up and move away, we ask questions like, who am I without this role in my life, this identity? When I was in high school, a huge part of my identity was football player. Uh, I dreamed of playing football my whole childhood. My mom finally allowed me to play when I got to ninth grade. Uh, and I became quarterback of the Merced High School Bears. It was something that was a proud, like, identity marker for me uh, on the weeks that we won. 
there were some other weeks when I was the scapegoat. Uh, everyone blamed me for losing the homecoming game, uh, which probably was my fault because I threw four interceptions and got sacked 10 times. Uh, my senior year homecoming game. Uh, but football was who I was, and I wore my uh, Letterman jacket, and I wore my uh, jersey on Fridays, except for you know, like the week after homecoming game, uh, leaning into this identity, right? At the end of uh, my senior season, so this was my life for four years, at the end of my senior season, after the last game, uh, a bunch of the seniors that I'd played with for these four years, we, we, we changed back into our street clothes, and after all the fans and everyone was gone, we walked back onto the field, just us graduating seniors, to just kind of reminisce and just kind of process the moment, this transition in our lives. I remember we were like, somehow we, we thought it was significant, we ripped up pieces of the grass to keep us a souvenir. Can you think of a, of a, a more perishable souvenir than ripped up grass? I mean, it didn't even make it home, but we're like, we're gonna save this grass to remember, right? But we're like trying to understand this, uh, this experience. And I asked, I asked the guys, like, do you think you're gonna miss it? And one of the guys' answer to me has, has just uh, stuck with me all these years. He said, he said, I'm not gonna miss playing football at all, but I'm really gonna miss being a football player. Like, that was the thing for him. It's, it's, it's somehow, it, this role he had in his life was, it, it gave him some level of confidence, but when it was taken away, it, it was like, oh, who am I now? And I'm gonna miss that role, that identity in my life. I'm gonna miss being a football player. One time I saw a doctor, I was having a bunch of back problems, and the doctor advised me to just stop playing sports. <laughs> and I rejected that doctor. Because I was like, who am I? Like, this is part of me. Like, I'm not going to do that. And I still think he's bogus. Okay. <laughs> so how does Paul, how does this identity thing have to do with Paul maintaining resilient joy? I think it's this. Paul is intentional about the identities that he leans into. Um, he has a lot of options available to him on how he describes himself, which identities are, are core to his being, okay? He could say, Paul tent maker, right? His profession, he made tents. That's how he supported himself financially. To his customers, like, hey, you're the guy that makes tents that I buy, right? To his classmates, he was like the smart kid. You're the highly educated scholar, you know, that got into the, you know, discipleship program I couldn't get into or the, the, the rabbi I couldn't get into. Um, he was a super evangelist, right? He was the Billy Graham of his day. He could have put that on his business card. He was an author of books of the Bible, but he doesn't, he doesn't say any of that. Can we pull back up that verse? It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. That's the identity that he leans into. Of all the identity markers, all the roles, relationships, ways he could be known, he leans this, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. It becomes his core identity, his primary identity. And the way that works for him, the way that it makes his joy more resilient is the more he is invested in the unshakable identity marker of my relationship to Jesus Christ. I am a servant of Christ. The more he invests his heart into that and holds these other identity markers loosely, when those are compromised, when those shake and move, they don't shake him as much. 
right? Imagine that there's a certain stock that crashes tomorrow. Everyone's like having heart attacks in there, okay? There's a stock that crashes. If you have 90% of your net worth invested in that one stock and it crashes, you're gonna have a bad day tomorrow. But if it's just like, you know, 1% and, and you got mostly invested somewhere else, you're gonna be like, darn, dang. You know what I mean? You're gonna weather that storm. It's the same way with how we lean into our identities. If, you, if, we're, if we're throwing all of our weight into, I'm a football player, and that disappears from your life, you are devastated. But if you're like, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, and I like to play football, you're like, okay, well, I'm still a servant of Jesus Christ when that thing is taken from me. And a lot of the sufferings of Paul, he ends up like, you know, in, in jail, he can't make tents. He's no longer, you know, in with the Pharisees. You know, he's, uh, there's sometimes when either certain friends desert him, but Jesus never does. And so his core identity is not shaken. I'm just gonna hit, I gotta hit a couple other things uh, quickly. Um, who, he also speaks an identity onto the people he's writing to. He says, uh, he says next, he says, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. To all God's holy people. And a lot of translations translate that holy people. They translate it as saints. The Greek word is hagios. It, it's, it's, it's literally translated as, that's the word saint or a holy one. Like, uh, I think probably a lot of you, when you think of the word saint, what do you, who do you think of? Who's a, who's a saint? Anybody? What's that? Mother Teresa, right? Mother Teresa, that's a saint, right? Right, think Saint, saint Augustine, you know, Saint Francis of Assisi, those are the saints. Right? I wanna just explain to you the difference between the Catholic understanding of saints and the Protestant understanding of saints. The Catholic tradition understands this word, hag, you know, hagios, which, which we translate, you know, holy one or saint. They understand that to mean like a subset of Christians who are exceptionally holy and heroic and closer to God than regular Christians and whom you see certain miracles done, you know, through their life, even after their death, and it has this, their definition of who is a saint. But Protestant churches like ours understand this word very differently than our Catholic brothers and sisters. We do not see it as a higher level of Christian, but a word that refers to all of us. Because we believe our holiness is not rooted in our actions, but it's rooted in the actions of our Lord. So you all have the holiness of Jesus Christ uh, sort of imputed to you through the Lord's death and resurrection and your trust in him. So he doesn't say, I'm writing to the Philippians. He gives them a title. He names them to the holy ones to the saints. And we know that they're not perfect because he uses this in a bunch of the letters in which he is naming, hey guys, you got some serious problems. When he's writing to the Corinthians and they got all kinds of scandal in their church, he still calls them saints and holy ones. When he's gonna correct the Philippians on some things, hey, he calls them saints and holy ones. He reminds them who they are. He reminds them of their identity. You actually are holy ones. In Christ Jesus, I think there's going to be times in which you have different identity markers for yourself. Oh, I'm a sinner. Oh, I'm an addict. Oh, I'm messed up. Oh, I'm 
grumpy. Oh my gosh. It's like, no, you're, you're actually in, in, in Christ, in Christ, you're a saint. So I'd like you to turn to someone next to you and say, guess what? I'm a saint. Go ahead, t- tell somebody. Tell somebody. As it turns out, as it turns out in Christ, you are a saint. You're a child of God. You got you to lean into that. You got to lean into that. Lean into it. I'm going to say there's a piece where he references overseers and deacons. I'm going to save that for a future week. It takes a little bit of time to, to explain. Uh, and just, I want to move to the third piece. So there's, there's, this, there's this sense of fellowship. I'm Paul and Timothy. Uh, servants of Christ Jesus. That's our identity. And we're writing to you who are saints in Christ Jesus. Right? This is, we're we're going to lean into our identity and our friendship. And then he gives them a blessing in verse two. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. After the greeting comes a blessing. And a blessing is like a prayer, but it doesn't start with dear God. It starts with talking to you. Instead of talking to God about you, you know, on your behalf, it's talking to you and invoking the power of God on your behalf. He gives them a blessing. It's like at the end of every worship service when, when I give you a benediction or a blessing and I say, may the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you now and forever. That's, that's a speaking a blessing onto you. And everywhere Paul, wrote, everywhere Paul wrote, everywhere he went, he was pronouncing blessings onto other people. Blessings on enemies. Blessings on people who frustrate him. Blessings on people he cannot see. Even when he's correcting them for an error, he speaks blessings on them. And I don't mean this in like the backhanded way they use in the South when they say, oh, bless her heart, which means I hate her, <laughs> okay? This is, this is a different kind of blessing, okay? Trust me, I, I live there. That's what it means. <laughs> Paul speaks honest blessings over people even when he's frustrated, and, and that seems to make him more joyful, he, he, he speaks grace of God into hard situations. You know what I do a lot of times? Because I'm, I'm not fully matured yet. When people make me mad, I say things that aren't grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, that's where I want to go. That's, where, that's the direction I want to go in my life. <laughs> okay? But I say other words sometimes. So I'm trying to grow in this way. I'd like you once again, I'm going to push you on this one. I want you to just turn to somebody and just say, may the grace and peace of Jesus be with you. Would you look somebody in the eye and say it to them? If someone's sitting alone, tell them. Don't, let, don't leave anyone hanging, all right? Look around. Be aware of your surroundings. Someone by themselves, you tell them, Please. And we can, be, we can be ambassadors of this blessing with our words or with our actions. Some of you, I'm sure, later are going to go sponsor a compassion child. And, and that action is going to be speaking a blessing in their life. And then you're going to speak blessings with every letter that you write. 
And I think that as you spread joy, you will receive joy. That's how, that's how it works. So just to sum it up, he's got the fellowship of a few good Christian friends. If you don't have those, we'll help you. Let us know. He's got an identity rooted in his relationship with Jesus Christ. He's got a habit of speaking blessings on people around him. We're going to conclude our, uh, our service uh, today with a song. You remember the song, The Blessing? A few years ago, it kind of swept the world and everyone was singing it. And even uh, Christian artists in different countries made versions for their countries uh, of them coming together in unity and singing this song. And uh, what I want to do to close our time is I want to share with you this video. We have the, uh, I think we have it, yeah. We have the Ghana Blessing, right? Yeah, so we're going to show just this clip of a, of a verse in which uh, some Ghanaians, one of the people, singers on there is a, f- a friend of mine who worked, works at IJM. And you see them, them singing the blessing in English and in some of their own languages. And then we're going to join in and we're going to all sing it uh, together. If any of you like prayer for any reason, we're uh, right over here and would love to pray for you. Invited to hang out and to uh, fellowship with each other. Make a friend uh, who's, sh- you know, sharing your identity and then bless them. Let me send you out with this blessing. May you know, may you know that you are a child of God. May you cling to that above everything else. May the Lord bless you with friendships to walk through the fire with you. And may you know the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus deep to the core of your being. Amen.